Sometimes studying the Bible can feel overwhelming and confusing. Grounded in Truth with Janet Dennison will help you learn to study, understand, and apply God's Word to your daily life. His Word is true. And guess what? It's for everyone. So thanks for joining us today as we dive into Scripture together. the Grounded in Truth Summer Series with me, Janet Dennison. We are continuing our eight-week series on personal prayer, which is volume one of a three-volume series titled Studies on Prayer. We will be releasing the other two volumes in the first half of 2023. This first series is devoted to our personal prayers. Why did God teach us to pray? The answer is simple. God taught us to pray because God is our Father, and He enjoys talking to His children. So what makes it so difficult to talk to our Father, and how can we develop a prayer life that draws us nearer to God? These lessons are designed to guide your personal prayers and help them become the conversations the Lord wants to have with you each day, so He can guide and prosper your journey of life. Let's dig into this week's lesson and explore what God wants to teach us about prayer. Welcome to Lesson 7 in our series on prayer. Today we're going to talk about what it means to pray even with doubts. We pray sometimes not knowing and maybe even not trusting that what we're asking of God is going to happen. We know God's capable of doing any miracle. And yet we also know that we have prayed for miracles in our lives that did not happen. We know sometimes that we don't really feel worthy to ask God what we're asking of Him, but we ask anyway, knowing that our life maybe isn't as blessable as we wish it was. There's a lot of reasons we bow our heads and feel a sense of doubt that maybe God will listen, care, or be willing to reward with an answer to our prayers. We know God answers, but we also know God disciplines. We know God can heal, but we also know sometimes He does not. What do we do with the doubts that we feel when we bow our head to pray? I want us to look at that answer from the book of Judges. There is a story in the book of Judges that so illustrates what we want to talk about today. It's from Gideon. The book of Judges represents a period of time after Joshua has entered the promised land and divided it into family sections. Right after that, There were places that were appointed. It didn't take long for the Hebrew people to have some problems with one another and some decisions that they couldn't figure out for themselves. And so throughout the Holy Land, there were places that everyone knew they could go with their problems, with their quarrels, with their debates, and there would be a judge there that would help them pray through it or seek God's wisdom for it. And the story in the middle of this book of Judges is the story of Gideon. And it is a time when things are getting uh, 
rough with some of the Midianites. They were a group of people that were supposed to have been completely run out of the Holy Land, but never were. And so there was a period in the history of Israel where the Midianites were really causing problems for the people. And this is a time when we see Gideon's story come to pass. Gideon is really central to the book of Judges because he was called to lead the Israelite people into a battle. But the problems they had were both with the Midianites, but they also had a problem with God. And the story of Gideon really has a twofold purpose in studying it, because sometimes we need God to help us win our battles, but we also have spiritual battles that we need God to help us win as well. If we look at chapter 6, verse 1 of the book of Judges, it begins saying the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He gave them over to the Midianites. The Israelites had drifted. They describe it in verses 2 to 5. The Israelites had invaded their land and God had allowed it because the Israelites had moved away from a devoted worship of only God. What they were doing, the Midianites were coming into the land and they were stealing the crops and the livestock, the livelihood of the Israelites. And that's where we find Gideon. It says in verse 6, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help, and he sent them a prophet. The prophet is the one who gave a word from God to Gideon. When we need help, when things are not going well in our life, when we're being attacked in some way, sometimes those are the prayers that we doubt about or we have doubts. The the Israelites knew that they had drifted from God's perfect will. They knew they weren't supposed to worship foreign gods. They knew they had. They knew when they cried out to God for help, they should be doubting his willingness to help them. And yet they cried out to God anyway. And God, in what he teaches through Gideon, teaches them not only that he will keep them safe, but he wants them to be kept safe spiritually as well. He sends them a prophet, not an army. He sends them his word. God tells them through the prophet, I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. And then one of the saddest verses, God tells them through the prophet, but you have not listened to me. I could spend a long time right here. I believe most of the problems we have in our lives are defined by verse 10. God can tell all of us, I have told you what to do. We have scripture 
We have a Bible sitting on our shelves. We have scripture available to us on the internet. We have great sermons. We have great messages. But what can God say? I've told you what to believe, and you have not listened to me. I think that's really an important place to camp because so often our doubts about God are born from our unwillingness to believe what he has told us. I love God's word through the prophet Micah when he said, I have told you, O man, what is good. What does God require? That you act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. It's Micah 6.8. So who then is Gideon and how does his life play into God's answer? God has already told the people through the prophet, you have not listened to me and you've done evil in my sight. And then an angel appears to Gideon while he was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Here's why we study scripture instead of just reading it. When the angel appeared to Gideon, he found him threshing wheat in a wine press because he didn't want the Midianites to get it. A wine press was a was used to take grapes and press the wine out of them and not get the seeds and the skin and all of that into the wine. To thresh wheat that way would have been a long and tedious task. Normally, the way wheat was threshed was it was gathered in sheaves. It was taken up to one of the highest places in the area on a windy day. And they would use what was called a winnowing fork. And they would pick the grain up and they would throw it in the air. And after it had been stomped, the chaff of the wheat could then be blown away. And what was left was the kernels of the wheat to gather up and keep. But to do that on a windy day high on a hill was like sending a flare up to the Midianites and saying, here, here we are. They would have seen the clouds, the chaff blowing in the wind. So Gideon is at the wine press trying to thresh wheat hidden inside somewhere where he can't be found. That's where the angel appears to Gideon and he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And we'll find out why that would have seemed an odd thing for someone to say to Gideon. Gideon, I love his answer. He says, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders. Gideon's first response when the angel comes to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, is to look back and go, well, pardon me. How is it that God is with me when I'm stuck here in this cave with a wine press trying to make some wheat? It's easy at first when it doesn't seem like God is with us to blame God and to doubt God really loves us, when all the while, God is in the process of loving us through his discipline. 
The Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And I, and then he says, Am I not sending you? This is a quote to remember from the story of Gideon. The Lord looks at Gideon and says, Go in the strength that you have. God will take you where you are with what you know and the faith that you own and still bring you forward. It's good enough to start in the right direction with the strength that you have. And God says, am I not sending you? The point, if God calls you, he will equip you. It's one of the most important lessons. When you pray for God to give you a calling in your life, help you in your life, make you a mighty warrior. You can know that if God calls you to a task, he will then make you able to accomplish it with him. And so Gideon's next response is, "Eh, pardon me, Lord. Again, (laughs) Gideon replies, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. He is saying, how am I going to save an entire country from the Midianites? My family is the smallest, and I am the youngest in my family. In other words, our response is, I don't have the human strength for that. The Lord answers those doubts of Gideon by saying, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Gideon wants to believe this angel, this message from the Lord. And the Lord has said, don't worry about your own strength because I will be with you. And Gideon says, okay, I know that if you are with me, I can do anything but can you prove it to me that you're really with me? Sometimes our doubts involve measuring our abilities through our own strengths instead of understanding we are as capable as God gifts us to be. So God blesses Gideon, even with his doubts, by giving him some signs. First, Gideon puts bread and meat on a rock as an offering to God, and it is consumed by fire. After that, Gideon built an altar, and he called it, The Lord is Peace. When he sees his offering consumed by fire, he builds an altar to praise God, feeling a sense of peace at what God has done. Okay, he's with me. But that night, God tells Gideon to tear down his father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole that sits beside it. Remember, Gideon is the youngest son. Remember, he has no right to come up against his father, except that God has told him to do it. And so he then builds God tells him, I want you to build a proper altar after that, and I want you to sacrifice your father's bull on it. 
Again, you have to go back to this moment in time historically to understand. God is telling Gideon to do something that is not allowed in the family culture. It is not lawful in the family culture. And to take his father's bull is to take his most valuable possession away. As a result of tearing down this altar to Baal and the Asherah pole, which obviously his father has allowed on his property. Instead, it's to be used to build a proper altar and then sacrifice his dad's most valuable possession. In other words, this youngest son is going to bring a discipline to his father. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Gideon still has doubts about what God has told him to do. He's going to obey, but he obeys in fear. He obeys doubting whether this is going to work. Sometimes we're called to work through our doubts. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on a newly built altar. And the people demand Gideon's death. He was right to be afraid of how people would respond. But there's a great moment when Joash, his father, who I believe in that moment knew that God was using his son, replies to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him, Baal? Whoever fights for him, meaning Baal, shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. A lot of times we want to argue over wrong beliefs in our culture. This is a wonderful example to all of us of how we should pray. There are times when the best argument we can make is to allow God to be God and God to do what he has said he will do. Sometimes our best arguments are made by standing in faith rather than quarreling with words. Meanwhile, the Midianites join forces, it says, with the Amalekites. Not only are the Midianites going to invade, they've joined forces with another group, the Amalekites. And even more than that, and they decide to cross the Jordan. They are being invaded. And verse 34 says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And I stop there to make a point that we all need to remember. When you're talking about the Old Testament versus the New, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit does not indwell people permanently like it does in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a person so that they can accomplish a task God has called them to do. Remember when David prayed, please, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. 
Even King David knew what it was like to live with the power of the Spirit in him and what it was to try to do life without the power of the Spirit. It's a great spiritual lesson for all of us. We have the enormous blessing we too often take for granted that we pray at any moment we can pray with the power of the Holy Spirit because he indwells us because of Jesus Christ. But the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet. Gideon gathered his men, the men of his families and of other families. And then Gideon prays to God for the help he needs. Gideon knows there is no possible way that his family and the families around him, this army that he has gathered, can defeat the enemy that is invading in their own strength. He knows that is true. So with the Midianite forces and all of the other nations that are invading the land, Gideon offers a prayer to the Lord. He says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. Gideon wants proof. He's got doubts that God is truly going to save his nation from the hand of an army that he knows is much greater than his own. And he wants additional proof from God of what he's able to do. And so the next morning, Gideon squeezes a bowl full of water from that fleece. And yet Gideon's still not completely ready. He says to God, don't be angry with me. Gideon knows he is doubting the God of the universe and shouldn't be. And so he asks God, don't be angry with me. I just need more help. And God is so good to be faithful to Gideon with his age, with his doubts. He says, let me make just one more request. And so once again, there's a test of the fleece, but this time the ground is going to be wet, but the fleece is going to remain dry. And of course that works as well. And so Gideon follows what God has called him to do. Even through his doubts, God gives him the strength he needs to move forward and to save the people. God tells him when it gets time to come to battle that he wants Gideon to send home most of his army. And then God gives him the battle strategy that would not make sense around any table, but is absolutely the strategy that proves that the battle is the Lord's, not Gideon's, to win. At the end of the battle, all of those that were invading Israel run in fear or they are captured or they're killed. That is the message of Gideon's prayer, even through doubts, that God reduces the army to a place where everyone knows it is not even possible that they would have won except for what God had planned.
So why is praying a fleece today unnecessary? Sometimes, if you're like me, you've wanted a little additional proof of what God will do or can do. We need to remember we live in a blessed era of church history. We have scripture sitting on our shelves. We have the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us. We have a recorded history of theologians who have told countless examples of what God has done. That's why we look to Paul's writings to know what we can trust when we bow our heads to pray, even through doubts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, it says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. We know we've been equipped and gifted with God's Holy Spirit, who is the continued earthly ministry of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the way Jesus continues to do his work through God's children. We know we have been abundantly equipped to do the work of God. And yet, don't we still sometimes doubt the power of the Holy Spirit in us to accomplish what God wants us to do? Let that be the great lesson from Gideon, from Paul's words. If God has called you to a task, you are gifted and equipped to accomplish it. Doubt is sometimes seen as unbelief, but I love this quote from Henry Drummond that really speaks to that. Don't feel badly when you doubt. That doesn't mean you don't have faith. Doubts are a normal part of our life. And I love the perspective he gives in this quote. Henry Drummond said, Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with the darkness. The fact we have doubts comes from the fact we are human beings. And God will speak to us even in our doubts. It doesn't mean you don't believe, it just means. You're praying for extra encouragement. It means you're praying with understanding because we don't know what God will answer. We just know that he will. Allow your doubts to be the reason you run to God, the reason you lean on his strength instead of your own. And then your doubts have actually served your purpose. I love another quote, and I wanted to throw this in as well. It's one of my favorite quotes about doubts that 
in the right way, our doubts can actually become our strengths, not our weaknesses. Frederick Beekner, a famous theologian, said, Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. Let your doubts become a strength because your doubts cause you to run to and lean on the authority and power of God. Let your doubts cause you to run to scripture and find the truth about God so that you can stand with the certainty that if God has done it in the past, he can still do it today. And let your doubts send you to your knees in prayer so that you'll receive the strength that God wants to give you. Let your doubts be the ants in the pants that drive you to your knees. I'll see you next time. We hope you will join us this fall for our brand new in-depth Bible study, Until the Whole World Hears. We will study verse by verse from the following passages of Scripture, Matthew 24 and 25, the books of Micah, James, 2 Timothy, and 1 John, and Revelation 1 and 22. These books and passages of Scripture are a collection of final moments in the Bible. The words from Christ and other Bible heroes are profoundly important because they are among their last words to people they loved. This study will remind you to use your life and influence to help others receive the gospel message of Christ. One day, Jesus will return and everyone will step into eternity. We hope these lessons will strengthen and inspire you to live your earthly life with God's eternal priorities. This free 20-week study releases online September 26th and includes recorded lectures, a downloadable workbook with commentary and questions for each lesson, and a leader's guide. It is an ideal study to do by yourself or in a small group or large setting. For more information on how to register for this study, go to foundationsbiblestudies.org. We hope to see you in the fall.